Welcome to The Intersect, the official podcast of Fanbase. I'm Mary, a Creighton practitioner and infertile adoptive mother. A 12-year late endometriosis diagnosis inspired me to educate women of all ages about the importance of authentic and restorative health care for women. I'm Emily, a Marquette user, wife and mama to two NFP surprises, now with secondary infertility, who personally knows the importance of honesty and vulnerability when sharing fertility awareness. With a range of experiences from our different fertility backgrounds, we engage in authentic conversations about all things fertility awareness. Welcome to the place where science and real life intersect. We're so glad you're here. Welcome back to The Intersect. We are coming at you this summer with a special off-season episode with a really special and really exciting announcement. Our very own Mary Bruno is publishing a book, which is freaking amazing. I'm so excited. And it's awesome. And so we're going to talk about it because this is our podcast and we (laughs) talk about whatever we want and we're going to yuck it up about this amazing book that the amazing Mary wrote. So there we go. There's your intro. (laughs) Perfect. I know. Um, Yeah. So we're going to get into, this is going to be like the behind the scenes, right? So you can read the book summary. Great. You can read, you know, whatever you can read endorsements, but no, this is going to be the author's words talking about the process, talking about all of those nitty gritty fun details that like I mean, we love getting that whenever we watch movies, right? Right. Get the behind the scenes stuff. And it's so cool because it gives you all that extra info. Yeah. So stuff you don't get in the book. Yeah. Right. Right. So first question over to you, Mary, what made you want to write this book? That's such an interesting question because I did not plan on writing this book. (laughs) Let me show it to you. I know. For all those out on YouTube land. If you're watching this on the video, I'm showing you a copy of the book. So it looks really pretty actually. So I hope you get a chance to to see it. We might have to change our podcast graphics to include a cover of the book so that people who are listening can see the cover. Yeah. Because you really do um, judge a book by its cover. I mean, everybody says don't judge a book by its cover, but I knew that was something really important I had to get right. But before we get to that, yeah, I did not actually plan on writing this book. Um, what happened was I, I had my worst fears finally come true. Like for years I had feared that I needed to have, I would need a medical hysterectomy because the pain, uh, the, the physical pain from endometriosis and adenomyosis and scar tissue, it was so bad for so long. I mean, since I was like 14 ish you know, I had really bad cramps and it just got worse throughout the years. By the time I was in my late twenties, it had gotten so bad. I actually, I bookmarked this cause I wanted to, this is how I describe it in the book. Uh, I said that it, it isn't discomfort that just comes every once in a while. It's a freight train running at full speed and plowing into my body 12 times a year, whether I'm ready for it or not just to kind of give you an idea. And at the end, it was a pain as a physical pain that would call, it would be more than when I was just on my period. So, but the reason I'm describing this is because as bad as the physical pain was and had become the emotional pain of infertility was worse. It was so mm-hmm. much worse. And that's, that's why like I, really, that's like, that's a huge point. Cause I, 
I don't know that I, I think we're sorry to interrupt, but I think no, we're okay. we're starting to understand this stuff more, but I, I don't think that by and large we understand or even acknowledge, like I don't think we have the language to really understand just how damaging emotional um pain is. Um, and I know that this is like one, you know, you would think, well, obviously the physical pain is worse. And it's like, no, you can see Um, physical pain. Like you can see someone in physical pain. Right. But you can't, yeah. Unless you have eyes trained to see, you can't really see somebody, not even yourself Mm -hmm. in emotional pain. Um, because there's not, I don't know, there's not like an, there's not a, a tangible fix for it. I think that might be part of it, you know, like with physical pain, even if the process takes a while, there are like those tangible things that you can do. Um, and I know that you do talk about this in your book for yourself, um, that there were things that you were trying to do to mitigate that physical pain, but there was this huge just gap about the emotional component. That no one prepares you for because mm-hmm. we, so many, we really don't know how to handle this, right? Like there's all this and we have the psychological help, of course, but like with the physical medicine, I was diagnosed with endometriosis. So there's like these treatment protocols you can go through, but you just, nobody wants to expect that they're going to experience such deep emotional pain. Like you really don't prepare for it until you're in it and you have to find a way to heal and to survive really. So mm-hmm. And I never had language also for it until recently, until you and I became really good friends, actually, um, to, to refer to it as a trauma, that it was both yeah. emotionally traumatic and physically traumatic with the extent of pain in both areas I was experiencing. So that language helped too, but I didn't have it until so many years passed. But like I was saying, I was, I was much you, more, I, go ahead. As when you described when you read that portion of your book, the word that came to mind, you know, when you said you're going to get hit, you know, you're going to get hit 12 times a year with that pain. The word that came to my mind was torture, you know, like that, like, because that that's, there's a psychological element to torture that, you know, it's coming Mm -hmm. and you don't know when it's going to end. And like, and it's your own body doing this to you, Yes, you know, and it's like, yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's something that you discovered. And I know we've seen it in a couple of different places, like when talking about endometriosis as a trauma, you know, like this, your brain and your body are processing this disease as traumatic. And that, you know, as you and I both know that there's, there is an extreme importance about putting the right terminology because then you can address the problem appropriately. If you don't have the right terminology, you know, you're just kind of clawing in the dark a little bit, doing what you can, but, um, giving it that word, it's not too much, you know, it's not too much. And I know that you, you kind of, you get into this as well is just how dramatically minimized pain is for women, especially around periods. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that you get into as well. And so <clears throat> maybe some women listening to this are like, well, no, it's not traumatic. And I, you know, part of me is like, wants to push back and be like, is that because you've been told that your pain isn't really that big of a deal? I think you that's know? a big part of it for a long time. And my pain wasn't always that bad. It got bad over the course of 12, you know, 10, 20 years, but 
that's part of the reason it gets so bad. I think because we accept, oh, pain with my period is normal. Oh, it's getting worse. Okay. Well, she's just a girl. She's on her period. Just deal with it, you know? And then it gets, it continues to grow and develop. And, and then we end up with something bigger, but we're just so used to it. And like you were talking about psychologically, this is something my own body is doing to me. I used to describe it as my body is kind of attacking itself. (laughs) It's like, you can't escape that. I mean, there are obviously a range of uh, amounts of physical pain that women experience with this disease. Not every woman experiences it this severely, but Mm -hmm. this was my personal experience. And I would have chosen to, I did. This is why it took me so long to actually have a medical hysterectomy is because I chose to deal with this rather than uh, remove the possibility of having a child. You know, as long as I have a uterus, I have a chance. I have a chance. Yeah. Maybe that chance is small and it's getting smaller and smaller, but you don't have a uterus. You don't have a chance. So right. uh, with the severity of the de- disease that I had, uh, the word had been thrown out at different points of treatment by my doctors and I, you know, and, and endometriosis is a progressive disease if it, you know, so I knew like, this is likely where this is heading, but like, could I just have one pregnancy? Could I just have one child? If I could have more, that's great. But like, I would be grateful for a single pregnancy, you know? So as, as time passed and, you know, the worst of infertility for me, I would say was about the two, three year mark. And then that's when I really felt hopeless and hit rock bottom. And I had this one experience, which I actually open up the book with in chapter one, it's called worst day ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at, it was really, that was a huge turning point, my worst day ever. And then it took several years for me to really discover what God was actually calling me to do with my life. Well, actually, after I got really angry at him, of course, we cannot <laughs> skip that over that part. Yes. That is a very important like, step. Acknowledging reality is a very yeah. important step. And this is, I am angry that this is what's happening with my life. I am angry that I've been a good person. I have been mm-hmm. a faithful person. And this is what you're asking me to do with my life, God, seriously, like I'm not okay with it. And it's not until I was able to get real with that, that I was able to move forward and to continue to be real with that. And so then it was over the next few years, uh, still a lot of, uh, just very difficult times. But what I'm, what I'm trying to explain is the reason I wrote this book was as my, uh, my 12th surgery was approaching, which was actually going to be a hysterectomy. I had at this point, again, it took a really hard, long way to get here, but I had accepted it. I had, I had found a place of true acceptance and peace that didn't really make any sense (laughs) to me as I like logically thought about it. And it's funny you say that because I remember it was shortly after, it really wasn't that long after I met you. Yeah, that's true. Um, and we had only known each other on Marco Polo. Okay. So there's not that's like right. this in real life relationship. There is a digital relationship, which Marco Polo is nice because, you know, you have the videos, you can see facial expressions and tone and all that good stuff. So it was a little bit more than just like texting or whatever, yeah. but I just remember being 
frankly, I don't think I've ever told you this. So no. weirded out by how at peace you were. I was just like, that is so funny. You've never told me that. No. And I just, I just remember like, like, is she just like trying to spiritually whitewash this? Like that was literally my thought, but you know, after, you know, knowing you longer and, and realizing what you had been through, that there was this preparatory process in a way that like, this was your 12th surgery. This was something that had been dropped over time. So you were aware of the possibility, even while you were still holding on to that hope. And that the thing that just was like, yeah, it, so it just it blew my mind. I was like, how are you not freaking out? Like, it was just, it was mind blowing to me. And, and mm-hmm. again, you know, realizing that it wasn't just like this. Oh yeah, no, it wasn't a shallow acceptance. Right. Exactly. You know, which is what, which is what I was worried about. I was like, oh gosh, if this is a shallow acceptance, this is going to come back to bite her. a hard fall. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, Ugh. I was like, but I, you know, I didn't know you super well right. at that point. And so I was like, I'm just like sitting here like, all right, I'm just, I'm just going to watch and <laughs> hope for the best. <laughs> no, and it's true. This was a legitimate, like through and through acceptance. And you'll read it in the book that, I actually thought I was going to have a hysterectomy like a couple years prior. So that really helped. Like I, I had a lot of prep time and from all the things that I've learned, I knew what I needed to do at this point, but, but the rest was grace. The rest was all God. Like, just like, it was truly just a permission on my end, which took a lot of dying to myself and my desires, which is no easy task. And it took, I mean, it was not easy and it took years and it doesn't mean there wasn't so grief and sadness. So I want to, I want to make that clear too. It was just acceptance. And also I I, want to just point that out. What you just said is that even in the midst of acceptance, there can still be grief that there is both and that acceptance is not the negation of sadness. It's not the negation of anger or grief, um, that there can be a cyclical quality to that process of mourning your loss, Mm -hmm. um, and that you can accept it. And yet, you know, years down the road, you can be like, why the hell did I go through that? Sorry, I dropped the H bomb on here, but whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) we're real, right? This one explicit anyway. Um, I don't know the rules, but, uh, no, it just, that just wanted to point that out that most people think that it's either, or that you, you know, okay. So I went through this process of grieving and then I arrived at the place of acceptance, boom, done. Okay. Over with and done. And then that, you know, those emotions can come back. And if you don't recognize that there is this tension, there is this cyclical quality, there is this, this mixture of things that you'll always hold, Mm -hmm. um, always hold together. And that's normal. It's referencing it. It's holding a place to honor the great thing that I have lost because it is something great that I've lost, but it's also seeing and recognizing that God has not forgotten me. He has not abandoned me. He treasures me just like he does every single other woman. I think that, um, I think that we're scared to feel our pain deeply because moving forward that it says that, that it negates it. I don't know mm-hmm. if anything I said just made sense, but I'm, I'm thinking like oh, it does. Yeah. feeling it and, and graduating kind of to this place of peace doesn't mean 
that the bad thing, like it does, it, we can still hold place for it. That's what I'm trying to say is that it doesn't mean if you're going to experience joy again, that's what I'm trying to say, like to find that peace, you can still hold a place for this tragedy, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I just think about, you know, like the crucifixion, right? Like what a horrible thing. Like we call it good Friday, but it was bad. Okay. God died. This wasn't a good thing. Okay. And it was gruesome and it was bloody and it was horrible. And yes, it, it, it led to the resurrection, but you don't get the resurrection without the crucifixion. And like, we do hold space for it every year. Right. Mm -hmm. Like our whole church is like, all right, we, we shutting things down, man. Like Jesus is dead. Right. But we hold space for that grief still 2000 years later. And yet we have such a hard time doing that in our own personal lives, you know, like, and that it's okay. Um, you know, I know you just came up on the anniversary of your hysterectomy and it was like you, there was a, there was like, okay, like, I'm going to hold space for that today. We celebrated my son's birthday recently and like his birth was traumatic and it was like, I'm so happy. Like, I love him so much and I'm so happy he's here, but it was like, there were some moments that day where it was like, I remembered the birth and I was like, this is hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just, Oh, it was just like, Oh, there it is. There's that memory. And it's yeah. And it's okay. You got to acknowledge both. You can't just pretend wasn't one isn't there. (laughs) They're both there. So that's how we move forward by acknowledging both. And it's funny how you were like worried about what was going to happen to me. Like when the other shoe dropped, you're like, is she really this uh, accepting? And I write about that in the book. It's one of my favorite parts of the book because I thought that too. I feared that too. I was like, (laughs) this is too good to be true. I, 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 once we leave for uh, Houston, I'm going to lose it. Like, right. Because it's going to become real, but I didn't. Like I walk, this is how I, I really just like the way that I wrote it out. I was like, I walked to the car just fine. And then I was like, okay, once I get to the hotel and we're leaving, I'm going to lose. But no, I walked to the hotel just fine. And then I'm like, surely when they're wheeling me out of my, um, my pre-op room, I'm going to like be holding the door with my hands. You cannot pull me out. But they, yeah. they wheeled me to the room just fine. And it, it was just like all these different times I was expecting. Okay. But no, it was real. Like his peace was real. This acceptance mm-hmm. was real because of the hard work and the permission I gave God to, to help get me there. Yes. So your consent. Yes. Consent it. That's it huge. Was. It was. Yeah. And that's the point of this book is that, uh, you know, I write from the perspective of an infertile woman about just these great sufferings and tragedies that I experienced. But the real message of the book is hope. It's that, you know, I've been to hell and back. And I'm here to tell you that there is hope no matter what your experience is. So, uh, to finally answer your question, I did not sit down <laughs> to plan to write a book. What happened was my hysterectomy was scheduled and I got sick. <laughs> I got okay. sick and yeah, no, it was like a weird sickness. I, I, it was like seven days of sickness right before COVID happened. So I actually thought it might've been COVID until I actually got COVID. I was like, no, that wasn't COVID. But I was in <laughs> bed for seven days. I felt like, okay. In bed. But when I got out of bed, I felt awful. So I felt okay enough to like get some, do some writing. And what I had originally planned, I was like, well, you know, I have this unexplained peace 
it is explained, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I want to bizarre. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And as I want to describe how I got here, considering like how, how emotionally painful, uh, infertility has been and how I felt it at its worst mm-hmm. and where I am now approaching permanent infertility. I, I want to share this story because I, I know how it feels to feel isolated. I know how it feels to be the only one experiencing this. And nobody was talking about it when I was at, at least that I could, I knew of yeah. when I was at my worst. And I wanted women to know that there is hope again. Um, well, that was before I got to the, to the book part, but I just, I'm, I'm a blogger. I just assume like, I'll write a blog, my first blog series to describe kind of how I got to this point. And it was in that week that I wrote three, what ended up becoming three different chapters in the book. And, but I just, I just started on blogs that week. And then it was just actually talking to a friend, Jen Lorette, which is a mutual friend of ours, actually. Mm-hmm. Jen is who from surprise by marriage. She's the uh, one who connected us. She connected us. So yeah. How ironic, but she was just, I just, I had put myself in this box. I just really didn't have enough confidence in myself to think I could ever write a book. It was just. I just can't do that, you know? And she challenged me. She was like, write a book. Right. And I was just, I just needed that, you know? And and it was just so funny how I just kind of crawled out of that box. I was just like, can I, can I really do this? I don't know. It's funny because, you know, I've, I've had the same thought, like I've had people like, you know, tell me you should write a book. And I'm like, they know what, like writing a book, like, are you kidding me? And it's like, honestly, when you're a writer, you write, like that's how you probably, and when it's a book that like you want to write, it pours out of you and you're just like, well, there's a book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is exactly what happened. It's so funny. And yeah, you know that better than anyone, I think. And I just, when I started, actually, she said, she, she suggested a journal at first and I was like, but, but it just, that's not what wanted to write itself. A journal wasn't what yeah. wanted to write itself. It was this story. Yeah. And Emily, when I tell you it wrote itself, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I'm not, I do not like to plan. I am not very organized. I, there was no way I was going to map out. Like these are the different chapters of the book. I just started writing and the, the chapters were, they just were there in my head already. Mm-hmm. They were there. I, there took no effort, you know? So it was just really beautiful how it unfolded and the writing process itself, which went from about February, 2020, right before COVID blew up to about September ish of that same year. If I had to guess where just about the whole thing was written and uh, in seven months. Yeah, I guess so. I don't even, (laughs) I was just like, okay, this is happening. (laughs) Writers everywhere are like, okay, I need you to write. Like, how did you like, give me your, your pro tips on a short amount of time. See, I don't even, I have zero concept of what it takes to write a book. Like have a, I have zero. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like the record to reflect that (laughs) my partner in crime decided a month before the recording of this podcast that she was going to publish her book. And in one month, went from manuscript to published book. That's insane. Like that's insane. That's true. Okay. Like, cause you know, it, it doesn't happen that fast. 
It doesn't happen that fast. And, and you're over, you know, we're having all these conversations. You're over here. So worried, like, oh my gosh, am I doing enough? Is it going to happen fast enough? I'm like, girl, you're doing this in a flipping month. <laughs> this is wild. This is wild. What you're accomplishing. So you wrote a book in seven months. You camped on it for a while. And then you were like, you, I, rem- I remember getting to Marco and you were like, okay, I'm going to have this available for summer reading. So here's my published date. And I was like, that's a month from now. <laughs> Holy geez. Yeah. All right. This is yeah. how this is going down. <laughs> yeah. I like to say it's guys timing because like, I just have no idea. I done the reason I camped on it for so long was because I had to figure out who the right publisher was you know, and I wanted to do it. (laughs) What'd you say? Which is a story unto itself. Oh, it it absolutely is. But that was a journey, but I wanted to get it right. It needed to be right. It needed to be told the right way, the way that, that I wanted to to tell it. And that's important. So it was worth, it took a couple of years from start to know where it's in my hand now, but, Mm -hmm. um, that's just how it needed to be. Yeah. Especially because, you know, I remember you telling me, you were like, Emily, I want to write a book for the woman who will like every story that is out there that's accessible about women with infertility. Eventually they have a child. That is yes, generally what happens. That's every story. So that is the story of hope. Eventually you will have a child. Right. And it's like, and you wanted to write the book for the woman who that isn't what hope means. You know, because even if you, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I got so excited with where you were going. Ah, I know, I know we feed off each other whatever. Um, it's all good, but no, but that's that even though that hope that, that desire is not fulfilled, that there is still hope. And, and as you were talking, you know, sharing your story, like this is just, you know, you're talking about like your longing to want to be a mom. And, and, and have your own biological child. And it is so much of your story is just baked in with this Catholics define motherhood in biological terms. We really do. And that's it. And it's like, actually, if you dig into our faith, we don't just define it in biological terms. And that, you know, part of your struggle and part of the emotional pain and wounding was that you were not allowed to explore, well, in this season of infertility, how is God calling me to be a mother? You weren't, you were not given the tools and the language to do that. It was just, I will not be a mother until I have a child. Exactly. And, in, and that closed the door to this whole world of fruitfulness. And prolonged it, my suffering unnecessarily. Yeah, that you are now stepping into but that, you know, it could have been so much easier. And that's what you're providing women with this book is that those lessons that, that are very hard one. Um, what I saw this thing of, you know, people who are, you know, we call resilient or, you know, strong. It's like th- there was this post that the, the text said, um, I want to sit down with those people and be like, I want to know the story of everything it took to know what you know, you know, yes, because you went through some stuff to be able to discover this. And that's the thing that is just so, that shouldn't be, 
you know, and I remember sharing with you, I think I shared it with you, the scripture passage, which is the quote that I use as the intro for my forward. Yes. From Isaiah 54. You are the one who told me about Isaiah 54. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because if you get to verse 10 or 11, that was the verses of Isaiah 54 that I became introduced to which didn't talk. And I didn't, I didn't go to the first, but that chapter in Isaiah 54 starts with raise a glad cry. You barren one Mm. talking to an infertile woman. And he goes on to say that you were going to have more children than the woman who has a husband, you know, and it that's in scripture. Like, are you kidding me? Like uplifting. And, and, and the fact that we don't have that language We've lost that language, that understanding, but it's there. You know, it's not like it exists. It's not like it's being made up. No, it's there. Spiritual motherhood and all of these types of things, they're real. You know, how can we, how can we as Catholics talk about priests and nuns? Right. Mothers and the blessed mother, our spiritual mother. Right. It's so bizarre. No, once you get married, no, 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 that doesn't count anymore. Excuse me? Like, no, you know, no, it still counts. It still counts. Even for me, I'm like pregnant with number three and I don't get a pass from being a spiritual mother, you know? And that's what, you know, that didn't mean to segue into this that early, you know, and it was like, some people are like, well, who is this book for? It's for infertile women, but it's also for women who want to have a broader understanding of what motherhood is right? You're not rewriting the book on motherhood. You're not rewriting the book on the Catholic understanding of motherhood. You're writing a book on the authentic Catholic teaching of what motherhood actually is. Amen. And that it's not, it absolutely, of course, no argument includes the biological sphere. No doubt. Absolutely. But it ain't limited to that. And that's what we've done is we've limited it. And my gosh, name me one thing about God Almighty that is limiting. He multiplies, right? He multiplies. He doesn't limit. He doesn't confine. He creates. He's a creator. And if we're going to cooperate, he gives us all, you know, just he gives us all gifts and talents, which he's given you with writing this book, telling your story, right? Like this book, you know, I, this is, this is your baby. Absolutely. That's yeah. A labor. I labor. I mean, I labored to deliver this book. This is my baby. And now everyone listening, you can see exactly why I asked Emily to write the foreword, which she did (laughs) beautifully. Okay. (laughs) Y'all she was, there is no one better than her to write this forward. She just gets it. So thank you for putting such beautiful words to what you just explained there. And in the fort, y'all, I'm reading Emily's forward and I'm like, dang it. I hate when she describes what I'm trying to say better than what I, how I can try to say it. And that's what this forward is. Okay. Like she gets it so beautiful the way that so beautifully, the way that you can like, I call her word magic. You probably heard me refer to it a few times, <laughs> but it's true. It's just that like, it's it, it in no ways like takes down biological motherhood. That's not what this is doing at all. It's just the other part of it has slipped through the cracks somehow. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I kind of describe in the book that it's, I think that it's just with, you know, 
good efforts in the pro-life movement and like this whole yeah. thing, it's just been an, an unintentional side effect, but yeah. it's just saying like, Hey, can we just highlight this again? Can we just like shine a light on that? Like, this is yeah. really beautiful. And actually it, it's just something, something else I kind of write in chapter eight. I, I really uh, open up this concept of like just the, or maybe it's not chapter eight, maybe it's chapter five, but the fact that infertility exists alone tells us that God has so many other beautiful things to bring into the world besides mm-hmm. like children. Now children are one of many beautiful things, but infertility exists. Right. It does. It exists. One in eight. We're of no less. I mean, right. what we're able to bring into the world is no less just because we're infertile. And we know that because we have a good God. Right. So period. And right. it's like, okay, so, so th- I know this, how can I get there? That's that was this journey for me is like, okay, God, like, what are the gifts you've given me? Mm-hmm. And there were so many that had, I focused on, had I, I mean, so much of my energy went on just, uh, producing a child yeah. so much of my energy and focus went to that. I was missing out on so many other things. And that can be the case, whether you're infertile or not, let's just be real just, with it. I was just and, about to say that like that, when you reduce motherhood to purely biological you absolutely do major harm to infertile women but you also do harm to fertile women right because it becomes the way you define yourself and and we are not defined by what we produce whether they be human beings or otherwise i'm not defined by my children I love them so much. I'm so happy that I have them. I want to raise them to know, love, and serve God and all that good stuff. Yes, absolutely, 10,000%. But at some point, they're not mine, right? I drop kick their little butts out the house and like, go live your life. That's my job. Mm-hmm. As a mother, that is my job. So I cannot define my existence by my children because they're not mine forever. And, and really to a certain degree, they're not mine. I know that that gets like a weird, so yeah, I'm not, yeah, my yeah. children don't belong to me. Right. But it's like, they are my responsibility and it's my responsibility to work myself out of a job that there will come a day where my relationship with them changes dramatically from conscience former and educator and all that to advisor. And that's my job. You yeah. know, my job is not to control them in, you know, I know we're kind of getting into, I'm tangenting a little bit, but just want to highlight like this, what can happen is, is women who define themselves by their children, it, it it produces very, very, very negative, like damaging emotional relationships, right? Because then when those kids are ready to cut loose and run, mom can sometimes hang on too tight, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that creates a whole other set of like psychological problems. So it's like, So that's why I love, and that's why, you know, if somebody's wondering, well, would I benefit from reading this book, whether you're infertile or not, I think fertile women would benefit from reading your book for two reasons. Number one, understand what infertile women go through. And, you know, if one in eight women are struggling with infertility, you know, somebody guaranteed she may not be really willing to talk about it or, you know, might be uncomfortable, but you know, somebody. And the other thing is, is that by broadening your understanding of motherhood, you, you can, you can absolutely transform yourself, but you can also transform the way that you talk and you think about motherhood. 
And that infertile friend that you have, that maybe you don't know what struggle she's going to, is going to hear that language. And then she's going to say, that's a person I can talk to. I can talk to her about what I'm going. She gets it. You know? And so who knows? That's that's no small thing. It's no small thing. It's no, because that was one of the things that you struggle with the most with the, was the isolation. And that's, you know, anybody who is suffering, that feeling of isolation is what compounds it to the nth degree. And knowing that you're not alone, and that's the whole point of your book, you're not alone. It's not just you. I see you. I understand what you're going through. Let me, and, and, and that's one of the beautiful things about sharing stories. It's not about theological platitudes. It's not about statistics. It's not about directing you to the right doctor to get the right fix. It's nope. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to tell you my story. I'm going to be vulnerable with you so that you feel comfortable to be vulnerable and to open up and to heal. Like that's vulnerability breeds vulnerability, which breeds healing. And it's like, it creates that community. And that's the thing you know, that you and I have found is like, we're on the opposite ends of the fertility spectrum, right? We're talking about your book about infertility and I'm six months pregnant. Yeah. Okay. And, but we found this common ground because there is a universality to suffering and the way that we experience it and the way that we process it, the lessons that we learn from it and what we need as we're going through it. That in those departments, we really ain't that different. That's right. Like the suffering that we go through can be wildly different, but what we need and what we learn is usually pretty similar. Like we can find so much common ground there. And then that makes suffering a point of connection instead of a point of isolation. Yes. And that's where it becomes healing. And that's what your book is all about. Yes. Amen. It's so true because, and it's been that connection between the two of us. It's been your investing in me in that way that has really allowed me to invest in you. And that's why like your pregnancy really isn't difficult for me. Like I can, I can really like enjoy that with you. That, that helps that relationship. You recognize that makes one of us. (laughs) Wait, what? I said that makes one of us. (laughs) I don't know what you mean. I don't find pregnancy enjoyable. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I understand. No. And that makes perfect sense. Which we've joked about. But I mean, yes, of course. But I mean, yeah. like in the past, it's, it's been really hard for me to be like with women who are pregnant. Right. So it's pretty universal. Biological children, generally people are like, oh, okay, that's really good. Congratulations. It's wonderful. But over here, Like, this is one of my children, just like Bella is. And people have been so beautiful. But like when people understand like the gifts I'm giving to the world, this is one of them. And they're able to say like, oh, I can see the gift in that as well. Just like the children, like that's what helps to reduce that isolation. Like it helps to bring me in. Like I am, I am, you, you view me as, as an, an integral part of the world and the church, just like somebody else. I'm not just like over here sobbing because I can't have a child, you know, mm-hmm. not to say that it, that is an important part of grieving because it is, but you know, I'm just, I just, I think, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of like the, the, the negative side effect of the limiting, right. Is that biological children are tangible and they're visible. So it's easily quantifiable. I don't have to work for this. Uh, you got married, you made babies. Okay. Boom. Done. 
but that didn't happen with you. And yet you're still fruitful. You're still producing life. It's just not as easily quantifiable as a biological child, but it is no less valuable. And that's what I think your book is a challenge of is to say like, Hey, guess what? Just cause it ain't obvious don't mean it's not important and doesn't mean that it's not needed. Broaden your imagination a little bit, people. Like, have you, I mean, you know, I always like to bring up, like, when you think about, like, the creative God that we have, I'm like, dude, have you ever seen a platypus? <laughs> like, that, that is a wild creature, okay? That is a wild creature. Like, it's a mammal, but it lays eggs. And it, it's like a, a, a beaver with a duck bill. You know, I just want to know what was going on in heaven when God was like, I'm making one of these, you know? And have you seen a roach? I mean... I know. I know. <laughs> it's like, but like a God who is that, and that's just my favorite example to use because it's silly, but if a God that is that creative, he can cut like his brain can come up with that. Mm. You telling me that he can't make a woman who cannot have a biological child fruitful. Amen. And fruitful. Absolutely. I love that. Get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you're selling, but it ain't Christian. Go. Bye. I love that. And I talk (laughs) about that in my chapter um, on Victrice is God's creativity and how there are so many different ways. Like we limit God when we don't allow his creativity to come through us and however the heck he wants, however he wants. And that's whether you're fertile or infertile, honestly. So yeah. And I think about the parable of the talents, right? Like what happened to the dude who buried his talent? Didn't go very well. It did not go very well, you know? That's right. that's and that's right. the thing is like, we are all given, whether you have biological children or not, like that, that's the thing that I love about your book is that, you know, you, things are going to have different priorities at different times in your life, you know, obviously, but you're not absolved from using your gifts and talents because you have biological children, you don't get a pass. Like your maternity, your gifts, your femininity, your fruitfulness. It's not like, well, I had kids. That's enough. No, no, you got other talents and you got other gifts. And I, yep. They, you know what? They're going to, there's going to be times where you can use them to their full extent. And there's going to be times where like family stuff comes up and you're like, you know what? got to take a back seat for a little while. Like I did coaching mm-hmm. for about a year and then my kids' schedules changed. And it's like, you know what? I had to pump the brakes on it, but it's that gift is still there and it'll come back later. I haven't forgotten about it. I'm chomping at the bit to get back at it, but it's like, I have to, re- you know, so I mean like, yes, prioritize balance, all that good stuff, but you don't get a pass. And not to mention, it's not only not getting a pass that brings you life. Like you have found great enjoyment in that. So like if life is feeling kind of stale, you know, like think about what are the gifts that have been sitting on the shelf, like pursue those things. What are the deep desires on your heart? That, that makes you feel good too. It's not just you're being fruitful and, but that in and of itself brings a lot of joy, which obviously it brings that joy. Yeah. It brings that joy back into my family. Yes. yes. It's not like I'm taking away. It's like, oh, mom is, mom is getting, you know, she's getting juiced up on a coaching call, like, you know, using her gifts and now she's going to come down and she's going to be really like energized and happy engaged with us. Right. 
Yeah. And I'm not using my kids to fill that. And I'm not like, you know, anyway, but yeah, like, that's what I mean is like, that's why I think your book is obviously the demo is the target demo is infertile women. Mm-hmm. But if you're a fertile woman and you're like, well, I got kids, this book doesn't mean anything for me. It's like, yeah, it does. It's got some stuff in there for you. So. Yeah. This is how we are designed. This yep. is how God designed us. And it's, it's awesome. And sometimes it's really hard and we need to be real about that. But at the end of the day, there's hope and there's like, like, let's look for that. Let's just kind of look for that. So speaking of, let's talk about your publishing process a little bit. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to go there. Speaking of, Emily's there is always hope. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I will let you steer the conversation however you want, but that was a process. Yeah. That was a process and it was a difficult one for a lot of reasons. It was, it was another part of dying to myself Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, I think a lot of people see it this way, but just the traditional publishing route, we see that like, there's one way to do things and it's the best way. And that was me. I just thought my book would only be credible if a Catholic publisher picked me up and published it for me and did that kind of thing. Like, I just, I wanted to say like published by whatever, whoever, um, insert Catholic publisher name. And that means this is credible. And that, that set me a year back, honestly. Um, and it took me like, because it took me that long, I was trying to figure out how to write proposals and, and get those out and do it the right way, which (laughs) I learned a lot, probably looked really silly to a lot of different people (laughs) for a while. Um, but I developed, I improved it a lot. And, you know, I got some interest, you know, specifically from one publisher and then another one, but ultimately it didn't go anywhere. And it was ironically before I even found out that my last hope, my favorite publisher I wanted to choose before I found out like that wasn't going to go anywhere is when I realized that. Catholic publishing, like traditional Catholic publishing is not the best, gonna not going to be the best home for this book. Now it's mm-hmm. a good home. It's a good fit for a lot of authors and a lot of books. Okay. Mm-hmm. But for this book, which needed to be, again, it need this story needed to be told in a certain way, in a certain tone, in a certain voice with certain details that cannot be left out. And just through what, it, what I've learned and talking through with a lot of people, I realized that Catholic publishers have to sell books the way like they are set up to, and they like to do things a certain way. And again, that serves some people, but I believe they would have taken a lot of, they would have wanted to make a lot of changes. I wouldn't have been comfortable with. And ultimately I need to have control over how this book is delivered. And that took a great death from me, like, you know, dying to my desires. But ultimately I went, by the time I figured that learn that got through that process I'm just really pleased with where it brought me I mean look at this beautiful cover I I mean like the people that God connected me with to help me get the formatting and the editing and the cover design it's it's it was hard it's still hard I'm still learning a lot obviously but you know what I think is interesting is it's your story and like you were absolutely it needs to be told how you need it to be told because it's, it's, that's, that's the whole point. 
Um, and you know, you said it was like a death to self and it's like, you know, we're always told it just, I think the pots in my head, we're always told like, when you die to yourself, you find yourself. And I think that's what happened, mm-hmm. you know, is like, you had to die to your desire to get the Catholic publisher, but that actually helped you to be true to yourself Yeah. in getting the publisher who was going to be like, yeah, you write whatever the heck you want. That's right. It's individual, like (laughs) God's plan for our lives are individual. And then, wait, I didn't hear what you just said. What did you say? Oh, is yourself publishing? So I said the publisher is yourself. Oh, that's right. Yes, it's me. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I mean, it's just it's individual, and it's it's you know it's not that far off to say similar things about infertility. It was just like for me, this is what this is how God designed, like, not to say he designed me to be infertile. That's not what I mean, but like what beautiful things have come from just like dying to my desires. And one of those things was, infer- there's so many different ways to do that throughout our lifetime. I mean, that's the point is that like what I learned with this struggle with infertility absolutely applies. And I am still using, I'm like, okay, this is this hard lesson I learned. How can I use it? I really asked myself that question. Like, here's this challenge. Like, okay, well, what did God teach me through this really challenging thing I went through? I need to apply it here. And so this is what you have in this book is, is kind of a recipe for that. So, and can we just point out the irony? Not that I'm bitter (laughs) that your whole struggle with infertility was from like the Catholic church, not seeing your goodness. And then you write a book about infertility and Catholic publishers are like hard pass. Yeah, that, that is a reality. It, it was a sting and you're absolutely right. I felt that like I, I was, I was, look, I know publishers got to publish. Right. But I yeah. mean, I was very like, this is a, there's not a lot of books on infertility Yeah, and all the other details that go with it, motherhood, fruitfulness. And then like, you know, we talk about women's health and birth control mm-hmm. and IVF. These are very important topics that are yeah. not discussed a lot in the Catholic church. Well, they're not discussed yeah. well. No, they're not. And I am, no. I presented this as exactly what it is. And it's just like, I didn't hear back from more than half of them, yeah. which they got to do business. I don't know how that works. And I know it's hard to get a, a book published that way, yeah. but it's a hard and uncomfortable story to share and to hear. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I get that. But it's like, that's, those are the stories that need to be told. And it's like more people will find solidarity with that story than you think. And the reason why, maybe the reason why there wasn't, you know, maybe the reason why there isn't a market for it is because there hasn't been anything like it published before. So like it hasn't been purchased before, you know? So it's like somebody at some point is going to have to take a risk and it's you. Yeah. Here we are. (laughs) Yeah. And here we are. So thank you for what happens. Uh, well thank you for your support coming on this journey with me it's been so exciting I've been so honestly with the support it's been so amazing and it's really filled my heart truly so I'm so grateful for you and for all the other supporters out there thank you so much and thank you anything else you want to add before I wrap this up yeah I'm just you just you know to belabor a point but to tie a bow on it you know it just the more I've talked with you, like you've actually, you've taught me so much more about like this, like holistic understanding of motherhood, you know, like this was just never really something that I even thought about, you know, like I had, 
I had these ideas, like I wanted to like do something like I didn't want to just, you know, like I wanted to stay at home, but I wanted to have like some kind of work that I did when I was 15. It was going to be a home-based interior design business. Things have obviously changed. I'm You're not so good at that it. though. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sad about the changes. Um, I'll do my own home, but um, whatever people, I don't feel like dealing with clients anyway, not those types of clients, but you know, it just. I've always kind of wanted to do that, but I don't think I've thought about it or not. I don't think I know. I didn't think about it as this integrated thing. You know, I didn't think about it as this is just part of who I am and it's good. And it's a gift that I can put out into the world and also a gift that I can invest in my family. Um, and to be really curious and explorative, is that a word? About how <laughs> somebody Google it won't be me. Um, this is I'm not writing right now. I'm speaking, so I'm just making stuff up. That's what we did in architecture school. We made up words. So anyway, um, yeah, it just it 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 gave me a more integrated and holistic understanding of who I am as a person. You know, which is like that's part of the gift that's part of the gift that I can give the world is that I don't see myself as a mother who also runs a nonprofit, who's also a wife, you know, no, these are all integrated pieces and they all feed off each other and feed each other. And, and these aren't disparate parts. And if I treat them as disparate parts, that's where it starts to fall apart. And so like, you know, when you were talking about you kind of being curious about all of your gifts really kind of helped to spark that in me of like, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't things that I wasn't aware of. I just didn't yeah. think about it as like an integrated whole. Yes. And so that's, that's huge. That's huge because that really does change the way that you live. Yeah. So anyway, Amen. thank you for sharing. And that made me think of one of my favorite sentences that you wrote in the oh, we're quoting me now. But yes. I think you're ready. <laughs> I'm Mary, <laughs> Mary invites women into a process where they can explore their femininity, womanhood, and motherhood as the inerrant. Did I say that right? Inerrant? Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Gift it is, regardless of whether they ever produce a biological child. She doesn't do this with theological platitudes, but from her own heart. She illuminates the, tr- the truth of the Catholic female identity in its fullness because she has labored to discover it. I picked that word labor on purpose. I, yes, I figured that. <laughs> I picked the word delivered in my subtitle on purpose. No, no back, back behind the scenes. That's what I'm trying to think of info. Yes. But yeah, I, I, I love, yeah, I have labored to discover this side of things, which allows me like to communicate it in this way. And like, just as you have described this fullness yeah. of womanhood and motherhood, it's, it's yeah. just one full thing. Yeah. Let's treat it like that. Yeah. Let's be full. Yeah. Let's be full together. <laughs> yeah. We're not separating. Par- I mean, you know, we're good yeah. at doing that in this world of like, you know, um, thinking of our, you know, our lives is like, well, I go here and I do that, I go to work and I do this and then I come home and I do this and da, da, da. it's like, yeah, we've, we've really, we've really separated it. I, I forget who's, who shared this. Sorry. Now I'm going on a tangent, but this will be quick. <laughs> But just, you know, kind of going back to this idea of production 
and defining ourselves by what we do. I, I had somebody explain before that this is actually like a very Western idea that we define oh. ourselves by what we do that actually like in Eastern cultures, you define yourself by who you are, you know? And one of the examples given was um, from scripture, Joseph, who, um, you know, was sold into slavery by his brothers and goes to Egypt and eventually basically becomes de facto Pharaoh. Like he's given the level of responsibility and authority that basically makes him the Pharaoh. No, So if you define Joseph by what he did, he was the Pharaoh. But nobody in that country saw him as the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was still the Pharaoh because that's who he was. You know, and I just think that part of the reason why we have such a hard time, you know, separating, you know, I'm saying not to separate. And I'm like, okay, now we got to separate. But (laughs) seeing the goodness of the person based on who they are, not on what they produce, right? Whether it's work-related or biologically related or anything, it's like, it's not about what I do. It's not about what I produce. It's about who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's a kind you know, it just, I I just kind of sound, I think that's relevant to this because, you know, I don't, I'm not going to put a nice conclusion here. I'm just going to throw that out there and be like, all right, you guys think about it. Um, (laughs) Cause it's, you know, how do we, how do we define ourselves? Is it by what, you know, and, and it's easy to define ourselves by what we produce because it's tangible. It's quantifiable, but it's not who we are. And we know that what matters is who we are. I think you said that beautifully. It's just an opportunity to check ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we check ourselves every once in a while. Who am I? How am I defining myself? How does God define me? And that's, what's most important. And it's, it's rooting through a lot of lies to get to how God defines me because we get that so jumbled up in our heads. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, who am I? But most importantly, like, how does God define me? Because nothing, no circumstance can change that. And that's really comforting at the end of the day. That is a comforting fact that nothing can affect that. Right. Nothing. So anyway, thank you so much, Emily. Yeah, we've with me. I knew it's going to be a fun conversation. This was really fun. So, and thank you to all of our listeners for staying tuned to our surprise podcast episode, a little bonus episode for you. We hope you've enjoyed it. Stick around because we will be back with more brand new and very juicy episodes. So follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, where, and uh, you can subscribe to our email list as well. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. So you get all these videos firsthand and we will eventually, eventually sprinkle out some other videos besides podcasts too. If you are interested in purchasing my first book, my new book, 12 Stripes Deep, How Infertility and Other Suffering Delivered My Greatest Joys, it is available on July 12th, 2022 and afterwards. You can find it on Amazon and other places. So just (laughs) look for the link on our website and um, I'm sorry, on our social media platforms and in the email. And until next time, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for being here. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to our conversation. If you enjoy The Intersect, would you mind giving us a rating and leaving a review? You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
browse our unique website at fabmbase.org where you'll find easy to digest information on all things fertility awareness and information on how to contact us with questions or to book us for a speaking engagement. We're so glad you hung out with us today and we can't wait till next time.